Well, good morning. Thank you so much for being here. And uh, pull that down a little bit. There we go. Uh, if you guys want to open up with me to Philippians chapter 4, is where we're going to be today. Philippians 4, verse 6. Appreciate Devin and the praise team leading us this morning. Uh, Pastor Joe and his family are on a brief little getaway this summer, just out relaxing and uh, stepping out of, of reality for a little bit, just to be with family. And I checked this morning. He is watching our live stream, so I don't have to reprimand him or anything. Um, but he's, he's on there as well. I was thinking this morning as I was getting ready um, to come here, uh, I've I t- I told you this before, I harass Joe and, and we him haul around all the time, um, but I appreciate him greatly. He's one of my best friends in the world. And one thing, we don't talk about this often, but we have this kind of personal dream between us and our families of what could God do in our church and in our families personally if him and I were to actually stick together for the next 30 years in ministry. Um, what could God do if we both planted our lives at one church for the next 30 years? And uh, so hold us to that. Uh, we truly believe that God could do something special at Living Hope. And really one of our, our parts of our vision is we want to be a church uh, that echoes for generations. And I think a gener- generation echoing church will come through long-term commitment to one church for a, a very extended period of time. And so um, pray for us. I'd also ask too this morning, selfishly, if you pray for me. Um, I've told you the past couple weeks, my lower back is just tore up. And uh, I've been to the doctor this week, and they say, you're fine. And I'm like, no, I'm not. Um, felt really good yesterday. And I thought, man, I'm, I'm good. I'm good to go. No problems. Woke up at 3 a.m., I'm in a lot of pain right now. <laughs> and, uh, so I took medicine just a few minutes ago. So if I say anything that I shouldn't say, um, as we joke, you know, just email Joe at livingupcolumbus.com and he'll take care of you because I won't. I'll delete it. So, um, but I'm so glad to be here continuing our discussion on mental health in the Bible. And uh, it's been interesting this week. I, I planned this portion of our series out several weeks ago. Uh, we're in this series that we're calling Asking for a Friend, where we've been addressing questions that people in our church ask. We've looked at things like, why do bad things happen to good people? Um, in the past, when we did the series, we looked at our denominations, biblical. Um, just so many variety of questions we've addressed, even this these past several weeks, but even last year in a very similar series. And when we came to this idea of mental health in the Bible, my initial goal was to cover this in one week. Um, but as God continues to show me things in his word, and um, as I'm going to show you in just a moment, and we saw last week, this is such a forefront topic culturally um, in the church as well. It's something that I believe, and I I use this term very uh, intentionally, that is plaguing um, our generation right now, uh, that it's going to take us a little bit of time to work through some of these topics. And so uh, whether this is something that you deal with personally, or you know somebody that deals with this, uh, a friend or a family member, all of us are in one of those camps, uh, I pray this is helpful for you today as we're, we're just taking a slow walk through some of these verses because I think that we really need to. So Philippians chapter 4, if you'll stand with me in honor of reading God's word. We're going to read one verse today that's really going to serve as the platform for everything that we talk about. Is This week, last week, we kind of laid the foundation of mental health in the scriptures and uh, we said, you know, you're not alone. Many Bible characters suffered with depression and anxiety and suicidal thoughts. And we looked at all of those things from the scriptures. Today, we're going to look specifically at this topic of anxiety. And so Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, these words, he says, Don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Let's pray. Jesus, thanks again for your word and Father, for this opportunity that we have to gather in your house today. 
God, I thank you, Lord, that, that your word is alive and it's active and it's still speaking to us, even in what can be such a hot button topic. God, it's still speaking. So, Father, give us the ears we need to hear from you this morning. May everything I speak be straight from the throne of heaven. God, I pray we have those ears to hear, the hearts to receive your word, and God, hands and feet to live this out, God, as we chase Jesus this week. God, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, if you were with us a few months back when we were in the middle of our temporary shutdown as a church, you may remember, and if uh, you're new here, I'll go ahead and catch you up on this, the weekend that I showed up to preach and when I came up to the podium, you might have noticed on our stream or if you were here in person um, that I had a giant white gauze wrap around my left thumb. Because just a few days before that, I think it was a Thursday, I was right out here in this lobby area. I was putting up the trim in the front of our church using a table saw. Had been doing it all day. My family had been through here. They were helping me out. And I was just something I was doing the entire day until that Thursday afternoon. I don't know if I got lazy. I don't know if I wasn't paying attention. I'm not sure quite what happened. But right in that front lobby right there, as I was pushing a board through the table saw, I caught the top of my thumb the front of my thumb right on that blade. And that saw actually selfishly ripped the front of my thumb off and it was gone. Blood was everywhere. It was quite the scene. I was in a state of panic and shock and uh, actually cleaned up my mess before I went to the ER because that's the kind of person I am. Um, I, I wanted to make sure if Pastor Joe showed up to the church that afternoon that he didn't see blood everywhere and go, what happened? I could have just called him, but for some reason in my mind, I had to clean it up. And so I went to the um, emergency room and got, got everything taped up and wrapped up and all that stuff. But what, I, what I, really, for me, what was the most difficult part of that whole journey was the next several weeks that followed it. Because in the moment of chopping off the front of my thumb, I was all wrapped up and good to go in a matter of about two or three hours. That really wasn't the big deal. The big deal was the several weeks that followed as my thumb began to heal up. And you know, you don't know how much you need your left thumb. I'm a right-handed person. You don't know how much you need your left thumb until you no longer have it and you can't use it. And what was really interesting is those weeks that followed, it was an incredibly painful process because often what would happen is I would wrap that thumb up in the beginning of the day and by evening I'd have to take that off and change the dressing. And as you can imagine, things were sticking and it wasn't the most uh, enjoyable thing. And then and not only was it painful, at times it was just frustrating because I'm the kind of person that I want things to be done through and over with in just a day or two. Well, a thumb, when you chop the front of it off, can you believe it? It actually takes more than a couple days to heal up. It actually takes several weeks for that thumb to fully and properly heal. So it was painful. It was frustrating at times. There were times, actually, where I got so mad at my ER doctor, she printed me off this huge list of, here's what you need to do, and here's the things you need to put on your thumb, and all this crazy stuff. I actually got on Google, and I did my own research. And I, I was like, she doesn't know anything. Forget her 47 years of medical school. I was on Google for 15 minutes. I know what's going on. It was frustrating. It was painful. It was annoying. There were times where it was healing just fine, and I woke up, and my thumb wasn't hurting, and just went about my day, and then I'd smash it on a door frame, and I'm like, I'm just going to chop the rest off. I'm over this thumb. Here's the key. If you're a note taker, write this down. Um, the outcome was a process. You see, the outcome to the healing that I desired was a process that I had to engage in. The outcome was a process. And when we approach today this 
next section of mental health in the scriptures, I'm praying that that's the posture in which we take to this. That the outcome in which we desire will be a process in which we have to engage in. We said last week, if you were with us, when we uh, looked at mental health from that, that spiritual perspective, we said the mind is an interesting place because the mind is where the physical and the spiritual link up. Not only is your mind the, the house to a, a physical uh, organ known as the brain, but it also overlaps with the soul. And so this is the one place in the human body where the physical and the spiritual, they align together. And sometimes when we approach the topic of mental health, anxiety included, there are physical realities due to trauma, due to events that we've experienced in the past, due to different circumstances we've had to endure, where the physical gets messed up. And at times, and the scripture is not opposed to this, Medication is required in order to help heal a physical burden. But I also don't want us to neglect or refuse to engage with the fact that sometimes the mental struggle which, which we engage in, myself included, I shared that last week, that sometimes we need to attempt to deal with it from a physical, not just a physical, but a spiritual perspective. That sometimes maybe there's something going on in me spiritually that I need to address from the word of God and ask Jesus to reveal that in my soul, ask him to do a work in me, and by correcting the spiritual, maybe, just maybe, I can combat the mental health issues in which I am struggling with. So when we approach the topic of anxiety this morning from that spiritual perspective, friends, I want us to think of this kind of like my thumb. Some of what I say today from the scriptures is going to frustrate you. That's okay. There's going to be some things that, that we read here in Philippians 4 that are painful to digest. That's okay. Some of the things we read today are going to come from that perspective of, my goodness, I never thought of that. That's amazing. That's so helpful. That's awesome. But we have to be willing, if we're going to engage in this topic from a biblical perspective, to be open to all three. Because the healing that we desire in the arena of mental health, again, whether it's for a loved one, because you don't struggle with this personally, praise Jesus, or whether it's for you personally, the healing we desire is a process, and the outcome is a process. Much of the stuff we engage in in the spiritual life is a process. Read any of the Old Testament saints. It's very rare that God did something in an instant. Often it took a very long time to get to the desired outcome. We're no different. So, Let's look at this today, Philippians chapter 4. If you were with us when we did our Joyful series back in March, Paul is writing this letter from a jail cell in Rome. He's under what we would probably consider house arrest, chained to a Roman guard. And right here at the end of this letter, Philippians 4, verse 6, 7, 8, and 9, Paul gives us some words, I, I believe, and I think we'd all agree, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that help us clearly discuss the issue of anxiety. Again, this is going to take more than one week, so we have to be willing to kind of lean into this for a little bit of time. But what's interesting to me, and I found this so helpful, that what we're going to talk about today does not just apply to anxiety. You know that this applies to any struggle that any Christian has, some of these uh, steps and some of these uh, processes that I'm going to share with you from Philippians 4. Whether it be anxiety you struggle with, maybe it's depression, maybe it's something uh, like alcoholism, maybe it's uh, anger, any of these things, they're going to apply to what we're going to talk about here from Philippians 4. But I want to address this. Is anxiety actually an issue in our culture? We would say absolutely yes. But this blew my mind. Again, I haven't done a ton of research 
on this really since I was a, a youth pastor several years ago. I read an article this week from uh, Amazon released it. And it was an article where they were, they were, they were talking about the Kindle, the ebook reader. I'm sure many of you have one of those or used one of those before. And what this article was about is they were looking at all the books, I mean, tens of hundreds of thousands of books that are available on the Kindle. Of all of those books that are available, what are the most highlighted phrases in every book? And so you could look up books like, uh, goodness, Pride and Prejudice, and you could see in that book, what is the most highlighted phrase in that book? Any book, you name it, you can see the most highlighted phrase. In the Bible, this blew my mind. What do you believe is the most highlighted phrase in all of the Bible? When I first read that headline, I thought it would be John 3.16. That's the most popular Bible verse throughout history. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. You know what the most highlighted phrase in all of the Bible on the Kindle ebook was? Do not be anxious about anything. If that doesn't tell us something, the largest tech giant in all of the world tells us that the most highlighted phrase in their ebook reader is the verse Philippians 4 6, do not be anxious about anything. I did a little more research again because I, want, I wanted Jesus to break my heart over this, and I'm hoping he does the same for you before we approach the scriptures on this topic. In our country right now, 40 million people struggle with anxiety. 40 million. That's a lot of people. Right now, again, I was a youth pastor for several years. Some of my former students are part of our church now. It's amazing to me that if you look up the studies right now, that one out of every 10 teenagers, one out of every 10 struggles with anxiety right now. When I was a youth pastor, when I was a teenager, 17 years ago when I was a teenager, that number was 1 in 20. 17 years has passed, and we're losing ground in the battle against mental health. And so I believe that Jesus is calling us to such a time as this, as the scriptures say in Esther, that, friends, we got to understand this stuff. We can't be uh, negligent of it. We can't be numb to it. We can't be blind to it. This is a real and present reality that the church has to engage in from a biblical perspective to at least attempt to provide people hope that's found only in Jesus. And that's not just a cliche phrase we use around here. That's because we believe it. That's why we call this place living hope, living hope found only in Jesus Christ. So let's define our, def define our term, and then we're going to look at Philippians 4. What's anxiety? This isn't just occasional feelings of anxiousness. If you feel that when you get surprised or you're overwhelmed, that's normal. Anxiety, as Max Lucado calls it, is this. It's perpetual feelings of anxiousness. It's when you get caught in this cycle of anxious thoughts, emotions, and feelings that you just can't come out of. One poet of all places to find a definition for something. I could give you the clinical definition and you'd check out. But check out how this poet defined anxiety. This was so helpful for me personally. He said, anxiety is a thin stream of fear that trickles through your mind. That if encouraged or let go, it actually cuts a channel in which every other thought flows. Goodness. That thin stream of fear, that one thought that gets out of hand, that one situation that we let go, and that anxious thought begins to take root in my soul. It's a thin stream, and what happens? That stream goes left unchecked, and what happens with water when it continues to flow through some place? It makes a bigger and bigger and bigger channel. So much so, what anxiety does is it cuts a channel so deep 
that every thought, emotion, and feeling I have flows through that channel in my mind. That's what we're dealing with today when we talk about anxiety. Let's look at Philippians 4. Two helpful practices. Next week, I'm going to give you two more that are helpful. How do we, how do we combat this from a spiritual perspective? Here's the first one, Philippians 4, 6, the first part. We've got to learn to reject anxiety. You're saying, well, that's too simple. Struggle, right? follow me here. We're going to struggle through this together. Look what Paul says in Philippians 4, 6, the first part. Do not worry about anything. Listen, Paul makes a pretty firm stance right out of the gate for us. He's not beating around the bush here. Paul just tells us, do not worry about anything. Your Bible translation may use the phrase, do not be anxious about anything. There's our, our word for this. Now follow me here. Again, let this, let this soak into our souls. Let this be a little bit frustrating and painful for us. If God's word so clearly in Philippians 4, 6 tells us, do not, that's a direct command, do not get caught in a cycle of perpetual anxiety. Now follow me. God's word says do not. But then I allow myself to get caught in a rhythm of perpetual anxiety. What's the result of that? God says don't do it. I allow myself to do it. What's the final result of that? As a follower of Jesus, there's something in my life I have to deal with. I have to shore up the trickling stream. I have to confront this with absolute force. Why? Because God's word says to. Guys, we got to stop being okay with anxiety in the life of a believer. We got to stop being okay that this is something that we struggle with. Let this be painful and let this frustrate you because I know it is. We become too comfortable culturally and in the church with anxiety just being part of who believers in Jesus Christ are. I'm just anxious. That's just who I am. You notice that we don't typically do that with other areas of struggle in our life. We're not okay with doing that with other places that we struggle with. But for some reason with anxiety, I've counseled people through this stuff for 12 years. I'm not an expert. I understand that. But the one thing I hear over and over is that phrase. This is just who I am. Can I tell you on the authority of God's word that that is an absolute lie from the pit of hell? That's not true. That's not who you are. Because if there is something in my life or your life that is directly opposed to the word of God, that is not who God made you then. God said in Genesis 3 that he made you to conform in the image of his son. Read Ephesians 1. That's the work that Jesus is doing in us. So if there's something in me that's opposed to the word of God, that's not how God intended me to live. So what do I do with that? I got to learn to reject that as part of me as a follower of Jesus. I am not defined by my struggle. I'm defined by my savior. Man, somebody tweet that. Holy cow. Look at what Romans chapter 6 says. For the death that Jesus died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Here's our key phrase, verse 11. So you, you, me, Paul's talking to the believer here. You consider yourself what? Dead to sin, gone, removed, cast out in the pit of hell. Sin has no reign over my mortal body. And instead, who am I? I'm alive to God in Christ Jesus because of what Jesus is doing in me. 
Here's our key phrase. We have to start changing the language about ourselves. We have to change how we view ourselves, what we allow for to define us. How? With the truth of God's word. Can I tell you this morning, whether it's you or a family member, you're not defined by your fight with anxiety. That's not who you are. That's not who Jesus made you to be. Listen to this. This was so freeing for me as we were dealing with an issue uh, with one of my family members in a mental health struggle just last week. All right, so I'm not removed from this stuff. I hope you know that. I'm not sitting up in an ivory tower just reading commentaries and devotionals. Oh, this is how you need to live. This is stuff I fight and stuff my family is currently fighting right now. We want to talk about dark days. We could tell, tell about dark days. I get it. This was so freeing for me, just this simple phrase that I think the Lord gave me. I wrote this down in my journal. I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm not defined by my anxiety. Rather, here it is. I'm a Jesus follower who fights anxiety. You see the difference? I'm not defined by the thing I fight and struggle with. I'm initially defined by Jesus. And then I have things that I battle as a Christ follower. I have sins and issues and things I struggle with that I have to wrestle through with Jesus, and we're dealing with them together. I'm letting the gospel do a work in me, and me and Jesus are working on this together. I'm not defined by anxiety. Here's why this is so important. Because Jesus defines me, it means I'm never okay with anything else defining me. Do you see the significance of that? We've got too many people running around going, well, I'm just an anxious person. No, you're not. You're a Jesus follower who struggles with anxiety. I don't mean to make the giant jump, but man, if I was an alcoholic, I wouldn't walk around and go, well, this is just who I am. I'm just an alcoholic. That's not how we need to talk about it. Jesus says, no, you're bought, paid for. You're loved. You're a cherished child of God. He loves you so much. He went to a cross, man. Man, if Joe was here, I'd tell him I'm about to preach. I'm about to take a lap around the room. Listen, let me give you a principle here, and we're going to look at this from, from uh, several of Paul's letters. This is so important in this whole idea. Uh, right, man, identity precedes activity. Did you hear that? My identity in Christ precedes any activity I do for Jesus. This is a life-changing principle for, for the Jesus follower. I'm telling you. Watch this. My, my identity, when it's rooted in Jesus, that becomes the source then of my activity for Jesus. Often what we do is we want to do activity and let that inform identity. That's why we get the things mixed up. I'm not, an, I'm not an anxious Christian. I'm a Christian who struggles with anxiety. But we have to learn to let identity be the defining factor for our lives, and then everything else is activity. Activity flows from identity. Now watch this. I'm going to prove this to you. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul did this every time he wrote a letter to a local church. Every single time. Look at how he starts the letter. Paul never starts a letter with, all right, Romans, here's what I need you to do. Here's what he does. Verse 1 of Romans 1. Paul says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel. Now, let's talk about what God wants us to do. Check this out. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle, called by who? Jesus Christ. Notice what he's doing. Paul's making sure they understand identity before they get activity. Look at this. 2 Corinthians 1, 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Let's keep going. We got more. Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men or by men, but by who? Jesus Christ and God. Let's keep going. Ephesians 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Let's keep going. Philippians 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy. Throw us a Timothy in there. 
Servants of who? Jesus Christ. Let's change authors because that's probably not enough. James, half-brother of Jesus, James 1.1. 1, 1. James, a servant of who? God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter, 1 Peter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Jude, oh man, we got more. Jude, 1. Jude, a servant of who? Jesus Christ. Every letter of these guys, before they told us what to do, they made sure we understood who our identity was in first. My identity is in Jesus they wanted to make sure we understood intimacy with Christ before activity for him. Friends, if we want to battle anxiety, we want to learn to reject anxiety, we have to start by understanding our identity first. We have to reject the things we struggle with, and we have to accept who Jesus says we are. Too often, we allow these other things to define us, and they become the central driving force of my life. You know who that spot's reserved for? Jesus. And when I ask Jesus to scoot off the side of the throne room of my heart because I'm going to choose this other struggle to define me instead, hold your toes back. You know what that's called in the Bible? Idolatry. I'm going to get fired today. That's idolatry. When we allow anything else to become the central driving force of our lives, anxiety included, it becomes an idolatry in my heart. So what do we do? We reject anxiety. Here's our second one. <laughs> this drove me crazy. It's going to frustrate the tar out of you too. We got to choose to pray. You're thinking, are you kidding me? I'm leaving. Watch, watch this. Philippians 4 verse 6. So Paul already told us, he said, do not worry about anything. So i got to reject anxiety. i got to be defined by Jesus. Here's the second part. But in everything, so I'm not worried about anything. Now, everything, same word, just different usage, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, you present your requests to God. So what's Paul remind us? Rather than worry, rather than engaging these perpetual anxious thoughts, what do we do? We pray. He says, in everything, we choose to pray. When the anxious thought rises up in my soul, what do I do? I, I pray. Here's what we're thinking right now. Many of us, I did this too when I first read this week and I'm writing this stuff down in my notebook just trying to process through what God wanted to teach us today. I read that. Paul said, when I have an anxious thought, what do I do? I pray. Here's exactly what I wrote down in my journal. Seriously? Are you kidding me? <laughs> Give me a 14-step plan to overcoming anxiety. That's more helpful, Paul. Instead, what does he say? Nope, you need to pray. Here's what we think of the, the, in this moment. I've had these conversations over the years. That's such a Christian response to a real problem. That's such a Christian response to a real issue such as anxiety. Pastor Aaron, there's some things that you just can't pray away. they got to be dealt with through different means. And can I tell you, in an in a odd sense, I, I do, in a really backdoor way, kind of agree with us, but I, I want to submit to us just this question. Maybe the reason as Jesus followers, when we struggle with anxious thoughts, that the reason that we don't run to prayer is we don't know how to pray the right way. Maybe the reason that prayer is not our first resort when anxiety comes our way is because we don't really know how to pray. Then maybe we're praying the wrong way. In the scriptures, you're really going to see really two, two ways to pray. There's going to be two ways to pray. First way, if you're note-taking, write this down, is request for intervention. You're going to see that over and over in the Bible, requests for intervention. God, I need you to move in or remove this situation, this person, or this thing from my life. It's a request for intervention. 
That's, that's how we pray. That's the most popular way to pray. If you read the, most people's prayer journals, mine included, um, that, that's how often we pray. God, I need you to move in or remove this person situation or this, the, this ideal, what's going on in my life. Just, just get rid of it, God. That's what I need you to do. Here's the second way to pray. This is the important one. It's prayers of intimacy. Prayers of intimacy. Here's what I need Jesus to do instead. Jesus, I need you to change how I view this situation, person, or thing. Jesus, do something in me to change the way I view this situation, person, or thing. One is the request of intervention of God. One is the request of intimacy with Jesus. And there's a difference between the two. You see, notice this. Henry Blackaby once said that God's always working. Are you noticing his activity? I don't know about you, but often I spend more time with prayers of intervention than I do prayers of intimacy. And here's why Christians get frustrated and we don't run to prayer like we often should. Because a lot of times with prayers of intervention, we're not actually praying the will of God back to him. Therefore, God's not answering the prayers the way that we think that he should. And when the genie acts up, we don't want to talk to the genie anymore. When God doesn't answer my prayers the way that I prayed them, my prayers of intervention, it frustrates me, it annoys me, and it causes me to disengage from him. We don't like those kind of prayers. And so when issues in my life, such as anxiety or insert the struggle, we, we said you can insert anything into this. When, when those things arise in my life, the reason that I don't want to run to prayer is because I've become so accustomed to praying prayers of intervention and God doesn't move the way I think he should. Therefore, I tell myself prayer doesn't work. God's not going to do what I ask him to do. I think we need to learn to pray prayers of intimacy in these situations. And I want, I, want to, I want to show us this. Matthew chapter 6, Lord's Prayer. I want to show us how we need to not view prayer as a crutch, but it's a real solution. It's a real tried and true solution. This is so important. Luke, I'm sorry, yeah, Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. Now watch this. In this very same account in Luke chapter 11, we could read that too, but I think Matthew 6 gives us a little more in depth of the Lord's Prayer. Jesus, Jesus has just finished praying, and the Bible says in Luke chapter 11 that the disciples approached him. They came to him and they said, Jesus, we just saw you pray. Can you teach us to do that, thing, that, to pray like you did? We want to learn to pray just like you did. And so Jesus gives this classic Lord's Prayer. You probably heard this maybe growing up if you came from a more traditional faith backer. Our Father out in heaven, right? We all heard the priest doing that at some point with his big... I don't even know what those are called. I've never been a Catholic. So anyways, Matthew chapter 6. That was the, the medicine. <laughs> Matthew chapter 6. Can we cut that out of the stream somehow? I don't know. All right. Matthew 6, Lord's Prayer. Watch this. Jesus says, therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive our debts as we've forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now look at this. Prayers of intervention or prayers of intimacy? I believe this is a prayer of intimacy that Jesus teaches his disciples. When they say, Jesus, how do we pray? He says, let me show you a prayer of intimacy. Who's the focus of this prayer that Jesus offers to God the Father? It's God the Father. He's the focus of the prayer. And when we learn to pray like this, friends, I want us to hear this today. 
What it does is it teaches me as a Christian to realign my eyes, my heart, and my soul off of me and off of my struggle and back onto Jesus. That's what prayers of intimacy do for us as Christ followers. Let me prove this to you. Verse 9 in your Bible is all about God's praise. Notice what Jesus says, God, you alone are good. You alone are worthy of praise. I pray that everything in my life brings you praise because you deserve it. So where'd you get that? Jesus said it. Our Father who is in heaven, your name be honored as holy. He was ascribing praise back to God. Verse 10 is all about God's plan. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Lord, my prayer is that on this earth, what you want done is accomplished for your glory. Everything that I engage in, everything I say, everything I do today, it's not about me, Jesus. It's about you. The good, the bad, the hard, the, the struggle, the ugly, and the awesome. I want it to be for your glory, Jesus. Not my agenda, but yours. It's not a prayer of intervention. It's a prayer of intimacy. Jesus, I want you to move for your Glory. Verse 11, God's provision. Notice what did he say there? Give us today our daily bread. You say, ah, oh, that's a prayer of provision. Eh, not so fast. Lord, your mercy is new every day. And God, thanks for what I have today so I can use it to honor you. The good, the bad, and the ugly. See, it's all about perspective in your prayers. It's not about getting something from God. It's about getting God. <laughs> I don't pray to get stuff from Jesus. He's not my genie in a lamp. I pray to get Jesus. That's prayers of intimacy. Verse 12, Matthew chapter 6. God, forgive us of our debts as we've forgiven our debtors. Jesus, daggone it, you forgave me. And I pray that as I act and interact with the world around me, that all they do is they, say, they see Jesus in me. I just want them to see Jesus. So God, I pray, man, fill me up. Not for my glory, but yours. Fill me up. So every place I go, every person I interact with, everybody I talk with is for Jesus' glory. Verse 13 is all about God's protection. Don't bring us into temptation, Lord. Deliver us from evil. God, guard my steps today. Why? So I can glorify you with my entire being. The way we pray matters, y'all. And if all we do is pray prayers of intervention, we're going to be incredibly frustrated. But did you know prayers of intimacy for more of a deeper relationship with God the Father for His glory on this earth? He's going to answer 100% of the time. God is jealous for His glory. And if you pray prayers that are going to ultimately result in Jesus' glory, He's always going to answer them. Why? Because He's always going to answer prayers for His glory 100% of the time. We've got to pray prayers of intimacy. The focus of our prayers needs to be God and not us. Why do we do that? Because it aligned my heart with Jesus and it gets the attention off of myself. What's the driving content of your prayers? Is it you or Jesus? We've got to reject anxiety. Then we've got to learn to pray the right way. We've got to learn to align our hearts back to intimacy with the Father and not let anxiety or any other struggle take a seat on our hearts. That's why Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5, pray without ceasing. He said, pray without ceasing. One theologian once said that praying for the Christian should be just as normal as breathing is for the person. We have to learn to pray in all things at all times. Now watch here, and we're almost done. Here's what anxiety often does in the Christian. 
is it takes my focus off of Jesus, which is the ultimate goal of my life. What did Paul say in Philippians? My goal is to know him and the fellowship of his sufferings. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says, We're chasing down the prize, the heavenly calling found in Christ. That's the goal for the Christian. That's the focus for the Christian is Jesus. But what anxiety does in my heart, and I've experienced this too, is again, it removes Jesus from my focus and it places a person, a situation, or a thing in my life where I laser focus myself on them and I become obsessive with it to the point that it drives me mad. And here's the, here's, here's the, the man, the hard part with that is that does one of two things. Again, either that's idolatry, which it is. If Jesus is Lord of my heart, Romans 10, 9, and 10, and I let something else steal that center affection of my soul, that's idolatry. That's heavy, that's hard, that's, that will make you angry. I get it. So it either becomes idolatry when I don't do something about it, or it becomes blasphemy. Blasphemy says, I know God is all-powerful, but I don't believe he is in this situation. It's reducing God down to just a finite divine being and saying, God, I believe you can, but I know you won't. That's blasphemy. And if I let anxiety take root in my heart, that's my two options. I'm going to get so many angry emails this week. Oh, my gosh. So what did Paul say? Rather than allow yourself to get there, you pray. And I understand this is the spiritual perspective of things, friends. I hope you understand that today. But Christians, we can't neglect this. Prayer is what recalibrates our thoughts. It recalibrates my mind. It helps me focus on Jesus. If I'm focusing on Jesus, you know what happens? I don't have time to focus on my anxiety. You ever seen a five-year-old kid in front of a TV? When you get focused on something, there's no room for anything else. Instead, the thing you focus on informs everything else. Somebody's a tweet that too. I didn't even write that down. That's awesome. The thing you're focusing on informs everything. Gone. You say, Pastor Aaron, I'm going to have to pray a whole lot. If I told you right now, that right now in this moment, that a third arm would grow out of your left ear socket, if you did not keep your affections and attention on Jesus, you know what you would do a whole lot of? You'd pray. Because nobody wants a third arm growing out of their left ear. You become a Walmart employee overnight. Ah! Oh my gosh. Somebody take my Tylenol. You'd pray a whole lot. Why? Because the battle's worth it to you. I'm not okay with my struggles, y'all. Because that's not how Jesus made me. And can I tell us in the church, let's stop being okay with our struggles. Again, it's a process to the outcome. I get this. This isn't going to be something you're like, all right, I'm going to put it in place on Sunday. By Monday, I'm going to be awesome. No, it's a journey. It's learning to realign our hearts and our spirits back towards Jesus. I reject anxiety. I, I pray to get my focus back on Christ, put my heart back where it's going to, where it needs to be. Next week, we're going to look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, where Paul tells us, all right, so we've, we've rejected anxiety. Now we're realigning our hearts. Now we have to learn to replace those thoughts. How do we do that? God speaks in the scriptures through five different ways. Did you know that? Most churches tell you, ah, oh, he speaks through the Bible and he speaks through prayer. Or, yeah, Bible and prayer. 
God actually in the Bible speaks through five different avenues. And I want to show you next week how we implant truth back into our lives, how, how, how empathy operates in the local church, how, how God is really going to implant when we remove anxiety. How does he actually implant truth into my soul? And we remind us of Philippians 3.10 and we're done. What's the goal of mental health? You've got to define this for yourself personally. What's the end goal with your battle? Well, Paul says in Philippians 3, for us, that our goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. I hope you saw that in just this first verse. And as our praise team comes, I want to read for us. I read a lot of poetry this week, which is not normal for me. I don't like poetry. But man, I read this, and this resonated with me. And I want this to kind of serve as the platform in which we worship. This poet said these words. He says, sometimes Jesus will calm the storm in your life with a whispered, peace be still. You see, Jesus can settle any sea, but it doesn't mean that he will. Sometimes instead, he's going to hold you close. He's going to let the wind and the waves go wild. Sometimes Jesus will calm the storm, but other times we need to be okay with him simply holding his child. I thought that was so good. I thought that was so good. Because the goal in the mental health battle is Jesus. I want more of Jesus. And I hope these first two steps were helpful for you today. Let me pray for us. God, thanks again for your word, for our time in your word. God, again, we said last week, God, this is a, a sensitive subject. It's a difficult subject. It's a challenging subject. God, I pray that you would take what we've read here in Philippians 4, 6, Matthew chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 1, Lord, so many passages in the scriptures. And God, soften our hearts, Lord. God, not to simply uh, reject these, these truths, but God, to, to, to make at least the effort, God, to put these into practice this week. God, we pray for an intervention of your spirit across our country and around our world, Lord. Mental health is wreaking just havoc upon our planet. And Father, we, we pray Jesus would do a miraculous work in that. And Father, may it start with us. We love you, Jesus. Thanks for our time and your word together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>